Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the You Can Do It Too podcast. My name is Mamadou Balde, and I'm your host. This podcast has two objectives. To provide a platform for minority professionals to share their inspiring stories and to inspire minority students to believe that their options are unlimited and that they can be whoever they desire to be. I hope this podcast ignites that fire inside of you and pushes you to strive to be the best you. On this podcast, I will be bringing minority guests from a variety of professions, engineering, medicine, entrepreneurship, law, business, etc., who will be sharing their journey to where they are today with you. I hope that these stories will inspire you to believe that whatever your goal or your dream is, you can do it too. Ladies and gentlemen, what a great day to be alive. Thank you so much for tuning in. So to start, for the people who do not know me, uh, if this is the first time in in the podcast, uh, my name is Mamadou Balde. I'm your host. And uh, currently, right now, in terms of locations, I'm uh, in in Paris. I've been here for a few weeks, so I'm definitely not in the same time zone as in the United States. So it, it's been a challenge just keeping up with the the releases and stuff in terms of uh, looking at the the time zone for United States versus uh, Paris. But right now, my biggest focus in terms of work, I mean, I'm in vacation right now. Uh, there's no work. And my biggest focus is uh, Unity Hills Marathon training. Uh, as I talked to you guys in the last podcast, we are in the process of uh, raising money for our documentary that we are hoping to do this, uh, this May. And uh, the fundraising has been going on for a while. And uh, recently, we started a new fundraising event, uh, which, which is going to be a marathon. I'll be running a marathon on February 20th, 2022. And currently, I am uh, training for that marathon. The fundraising for the marathon has been launched, and our goal is to reach $5,000. Uh, and our GoFundMe, our goal is to get to $5,000. And right now, we are about $2,000 for the person. But since uh, the fundraising has been launched, there have been people who have been supporting us a lot. In terms of the training, that's the easy part. I'm doing that. I'm in week six of training right now. It's been uh, challenging, but also uh, it's been nice to 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 see uh, to the consistent growth in terms of pushing the limits every week. The hardest part is getting the money, is raising the funds, and uh, I definitely cannot do that alone. I need the people out there to help me uh, raise those funds and help us get to $5,000 in order to help us uh, do the documentary in Guinea. So that's the biggest thing uh, right now in my in my priority list, uh, Unity Hills. But uh, I believe it's gonna it's gonna work out. By the time I finish that marathon on February 20th, I'm hoping that we have $5,000. Please donate whatever you can. To help us reach our goal and if you cannot donate it is completely fine please help us share uh, the information out there so other people know about the fundraiser and they can participate in the movement of doing things that's gonna save people lives basically uh, the name of this marathon is running to save lives and uh, I'm definitely excited for it but I am so grateful to have to, to, to be to be able to do this podcast. As I said earlier, no matter how busy I am, no matter what happened, this is something that I love doing. Uh, I love connecting to people, and I think this is a great excuse for me to meet people that I would not be able to connect uh, just like that. Just talking to each other, building up each other's ideas. This is how you, you connect doubts. You, you make doubts and translate them into ideas that can become into dreams that can be achievable basically so i'm very grateful to to have the opportunity to do this podcast and this is not you you will never have to pay for listening to this podcast or the content this is about you guys it's about building a platform that can inspire people to always seek more always try to do their best 
beyond what they can to add value to society and uh, so it's about you guys so everything that I'm doing here is not about to to get anybody or or to get paid or something like that this is based on passion and it's comp it's gonna be completely free and uh, I feel like it's a privilege to be able to have a platform like this all right enough of that today I have a big surprise we have a, a an amazing guest and I would say uh, technically I would say my best guest because uh, she's looking at me right now uh, but I'm bringing on uh, my queen today, my fiance now. Yeah, I am fiance, and uh, her name is Fatima Tejelu. I'll uh, share up a bit and let her introduce herself. Yeah. So my name is Fatima Tejelu. I am. I graduated from the University of Texas in December of 2020. I'm originally from Guinea, West Africa, as well. And currently, I am the, one of the co-founders and president of Women's Relief Initiative, which is a nonprofit organization um, working to provide sustainable and access to menstrual products and education for women and girls in underserved communities. And currently, I work as a development assistant for Cleaner Task Force, which is a climate change policy firm. Yeah. So we definitely have a lot of things to talk about here. And my goal is not just to introduce my queen to you guys, but also to share some of the amazing work that she's been doing. That's how we met. We met in college at UT Austin, the best universities in the university in the world. Mm -hmm. And we were friends for about three to four years uh, before we, we went to the next step. I know what you are asking. You guys just heard that I'm fiance. She's my fiance, and you're wondering how how did that happen? So let me tell you guys, this was the biggest uh, planning, and it was so smooth uh, the way <laughs> the way I did my engagement thing. It, it was so smooth, and she, the amazing thing is she didn't even know that it was coming. And I'm very proud of of my uh, my acting skills. Uh, that day, so I'm gonna I'm tell you guys the version of my story, and then she can speak more about how she feel about uh, how she felt uh, that day. So again, she didn't know anything about this, but I, I definitely talked to some of her friends who knew her uh, early on to really figure out what exactly she's interested in, and uh, to not, I mean I know. I know some of the things that's interesting, but to make sure that I know some specific details, to make sure that everything is perfect, right? So I, I talked to specific friends that I know could help me out, and uh, we came up with some good ideas. And uh, out of all those ideas, we we came up with the best idea out of them. And let me tell you guys exactly how it happened. That day at 8 a.m. So the, the night before, I told her, "Hey, you wanna? There's this amazing." Uh, <laughs> amazing botanical garden in Austin and none of us had seen it. We've been in Austin for five years and uh, I wanted to show it to her and ask her, hey, would you like to take a walk there this uh, the next morning? She said, yes, didn't know anything was coming. <laughs> so we, the morning came, uh, we, we dressed up and we, we decided to go uh, to, to that botanical garden and I made sure that, uh, we, I made sure that the, she was, she knew that it was something, I mean, she didn't know what was happening, but she knew that it was a meaningful thing because we all dressed up. We didn't just come like, oh, let's run. It was like, let's walk. You know, When you run, you start sweating. But when you walk, it's more like romantic and stuff like that. So we got to the botanical garden. Uh, she didn't know that there were a lot of things that I planned ahead of time. And we took a walk for about 20 to 30 minutes. Had, I think, we, we always have amazing conversations, uh, but we uh, we were very calm, we didn't have our phones, and we, we really touched on some deep, heartened conversation that day. And uh, I was kind of stalling a bit because I had I, I had a photographer wow. who was supposed to come a bit later to, to make sure to take uh, the, all the pictures uh, without her knowing. So I didn't want to get back to the engagement place until 
shoot the photographer get there. So as I was scouting for the photographer, we were just walking, you know, talking, having conversations. And uh, I asked her a specific question, what's the best, where is the, what's the what's favorite thing about nature? Because I know she really loved nature. And uh, she told me about all the different things that she loved about nature and asked her, what's the, what's the best place in nature that you really enjoy? What's the, what's the best thing? And she said she loves waterfalls. Oh! <laughs> she didn't know that yeah. I was planning to propose to her in a in front of a waterfall. So, so I was so overjoyed that I was able to leave my happiness in my heart and not get it out. So I just kept moving, you know, being smooth and all of that. You really and uh, we, we we kept walking around the botanical, this beautiful, amazing botanical garden. By the way, you should check it out. It's in Austin. It's, it's very amazing. And uh, I made sure to stay away from the waterfall until the photographer arrived. And she sat up and we were walking toward the waterfall now. And when she saw the waterfall, she said, wow. And I was like, wow, there's a waterfall. She didn't even know. <laughs> I came the day before and scouted everything. And I made sure that I scouted the photograph. And she's in position with, with the hat on. Uh, and she, she, it was one of our friends, but she didn't recognize her because she had her mask, she had her hat on. She was just taking pictures like she's taking the picture of the most beautiful scenery ever. And I brought her closer to the waterfall and gave her a few minutes to contemplate. But guess what? As you know, there's always someone there trying to mess things up. So there's this couple who were by the waterfall. And I wanted to make sure that there's no one there before I do my, uh, the, the last scene. So I had to just keep stalling until the couple leave. Thankfully, my partner in crime, the photographer, came and told them, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Can you please move around? <laughs> and uh, they eventually moved around. And then it happened. I landed on my knees. I descended on my knees. And with the smoothest, <laughs> the smoothest act that I ever done in my life, I proposed. And she was so surprised. And I went on to her, the cameras were all over the place taking her. I knew she didn't want people to be around because she's very intimate, she's an uh, introvert. But I also wanted her, I also knew she would love to have these pictures for the rest of her life. And that was the best. All right, I start. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so let me tell <laughs> my side of the story. I thought it was the same side, okay. So my perspective of, perspective of just how it all happened. Um, so the night before, it was a Saturday night, um, he had told me, we'll go tomorrow morning and check out the botanical garden and me like I thought okay this makes sense you know like I like nature so this this makes sense this is this date makes sense so we got up um and yeah we were dressed up we got to the botanical garden around 8 a.m and it was a beautiful day the weather was amazing um the sun was out and we were kind of one of the first people at the botanical garden so it was pretty empty um, so we got kind of a lay of the land and we got to walk around, um, just the two of us before like people started coming in and that was really nice. We had really great conversations and yeah. And then we, um, we stopped at a bridge for like, for like a minute, um, for a while we stopped at the bridge I was stalling. and we had a really great conversation, like deep conversation. And I think that conversation was just the perfect way of just like alluding to like what was to come like next. Like it was just it was just the perfect setup. Um, yeah, so we kept walking, we kept walking and just looking around and just how beautiful the place was. And while on the bridge, um, he asked me, so what grounds you? And I said water. Um, and then I was giving him the story of like waterfalls, like when I was in Guinea, like unknown to me what would happen in like the next 10 minutes. Um, so we just kept walking and before we got in there, um, we had put our phones away because kind of just wanted to disconnect and just focus on like 
being there together. So once we got to the waterfall, um, we were kind of, we were just walking around. Um, and then we got to the waterfall. We were standing there having a conversation, talking. Um, yeah. And then, and then he, he got down on his knee and it was like, time stopped for me. Like time literally stopped. I could not see anything. Um, but him, it's like in the movies, like when they describe like time stopped or they had tunnel vision, it's only them and the other person. That's what it felt like. It felt like time paused and all I could see was him and everything else was just no longer on earth. Um, yeah, so he proposed and while he was on his knee, a small part of me inside was like, oh my goodness. Are we not having pictures for this? Like, is no one taking these pictures? (laughs) Like, unknown to me that there was someone there posted up and taking photos. So things were just, everything was thought of, everything was thought through, um, and I really appreciated that. And then after, afterwards, like my friend, she was sending me, like the day before, um they had went to check out the place and my friend had took like pictures and videos of <laughs> of Mamadou practicing and it was just the cutest thing ever because like just the effort and the time that was taking into like making it all happen like that meant a lot to me um it meant a lot to me so wow i'm not crying i'm not crying okay. but uh <laughs> I like to think of myself as a humble guy, but I'm taking, this is, uh, I'm proud of this. You should be. Because I came from uh, Guinea, West Africa, and you in sure that did. culture, you don't, you, sure did. you don't hear a lot of I was not <laughs> expecting that at all. <laughs> Stuff like um, that, so because, you did good. Yeah, you did. I was not expecting, like, like a proposal. proposal. So, kings out there, if you need any help, just reach out to me. <laughs> Richard, we have to listen to the podcast then. Then, <laughs> then you know. <laughs> yeah. But that's amazing. Well, I pray that what for the rest of our, there's more happiness than that day for the rest of our lives. For, for sure, for sure. Amazing. So let's go back to the beginning. Who is Fatumata? Talk about when you growing up. So we both were born in Guinea. But your story is different. I left my family to come to the U.S. for a better education. But you, your your family had to leave early on to come to the U.S. And you had to grow up a little bit in Guinea with relatives before you come join them. Talk about that experience. What were those moments in Guinea? Uh, can be moments of like homesickness, missing your parents, but also happiness. Because in Guinea, childhood in Guinea, I feel like it's very... Uh, there's a lot of happiness here. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in Guinea, specifically in the town of Labe. Um, I was born in Conakry, which is the capital of Guinea. And I stayed in Guinea until I was about six years old. Um, and then I, I immigrated to the United States to be with my parents. So my, my dad left Guinea um, before I was born. And then my mom came 18 months after I was born. So I was living with my paternal grandparents in La Bay. And I don't remember ever feeling homesick per se, because Guinea was home. Like that was the only home I knew. Um, and I wouldn't say I ever missed my parents because I didn't know them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like my dad came to visit when I was like one or three. I forgot, um, but I didn't, I don't have like recollection of that. And my mom, she left when I was really young, so I don't, I don't have recollection of any of them. So I didn't really, I didn't miss them. I didn't feel the lack of their presence, really. Um, my mom, she, she has a lot of siblings. So whenever I was with her family, I was always like with her sisters and they took really good care of me. So I never really missed like, or understood like okay my parents are not here that wasn't something that was ever like that was ever like i guess at that time it wasn't something that i lacked because i had so much love around me um 
And yeah, it was great. Being in Guinea was an amazing time. I was surrounded by lots of love, lots of family, yeah. lots of cousins. I remember a time growing up uh, when my, my father had to go to, to Germany for, uh, for internship after, after medical school to get more training and stuff like that as a medical doctor. And uh, during those were the time of my growth. Like I think it was I was between six and ten, right during that time. And because of that, I feel like there is some sense of distance. I'm more distant than him than than my mom. My mom is like I know she, but my dad is like a little bit. We are a little bit pushed apart. Did you, my question? Do you feel that way with your parents or? At that moment, do you feel like you consider someone else mom and dad and not your parents? Yeah, when I was in Guinea, like being that young and just not really having any recollection of my parents, I grew up just thinking that my paternal grandmother was my mom and my maternal grandfather was my dad. Mm -hmm. Because they were the ones that I would really see um, and just they were the ones that had like direct were directly like taking care of me for for the most part i would say um but to for now i would say that like being away from my parents for that long period of time like it did cause some distance it has caused distance between us it's like i can see the difference between just like me um and like my youngest sister who has lived with my parents like her whole life mm -hmm. um I can just see like the difference between that, like their dynamic versus like our dynamic mm -hmm. is different. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I, one thing that we always talk about is the happiness that you feel uh, growing up in the streets of, uh, in the villages of, of Guinea specifically, right? Because during our time, maybe not now, but during our time, it was very uh, a village atmosphere where everybody took care of each other. And there was no sense of danger. You can't go and explore day and night. And you're always safe because you were with the kids and people, wherever you go, there's an eye looking over at you. And you talk about some of your amazing experience, like climbing on, <laughs> the, on the cars okay. or, or playing with the kids in the street. Talk about that. Talk about those moments of happiness that you, you, you long to sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was... Like I said, it was a great time. I that story that you bring up. Um, so me and my friends, this happened in Conakry, the capital. I would go to Conakry like every summer to be with my mom's side of the family, and then for school I was living with my dad's side of the family. Um, so when I would when I would go to Conakry, sometimes we would like me and my friends and I, we would just hop on the back of like a moving car mm. and then like the car would continue obviously to drive until they realized like not not far but like until they realized we're in the back like hopped onto the back of the car um and i remember one time i don't really know how this is possible but children in countries like this really know how to make it happen they really know if they want something they really know how to go and get it I remember my friends and I wanted to host a party. We were like five years old. We wanted to host a party. So we made it happen. Um, we used one of one of my friend's living rooms, who was also like five or six. <laughs> we used our living room. We um, got a hold of a radio. <laughs> and we. Um, I asked my grandfather for money. And we went to the market and brought salad. <laughs> and we made salad. <laughs> At five. We made at five. Wow. We made salad and we invited the neighborhood. And they came and we had a party. <laughs> and it's just it's just funny thinking about it now because it all happened so fast. It was that day that we decided we want to have a party. Wow. And that evening we had a party. That's amazing. So it's just yeah, like thinking about here, like it's not something I could envision happening here with kids here because just there's so many hoops to go through and just safety wise but um like mama just said for guinea like there's always an eye watching you there's always someone watching you like you know you're safe and kids can just go out play um i remember sometimes like during the east we would go out till late at night um 
asking for like money um, because kids it's sort of like trick-or-treating during Halloween but instead of money um, instead of candy you get money yeah. so you go like door-to-door like kids kids go door-to-door and like they um, they get money yeah um, it wasn't begging yeah it wasn't begging <laughs> it, it, it's, it's kind of just tradition it's a, it's a traditional thing that kids do so yeah we would be out till like late at night till after the sun has set and we would just be in groups and like the idea of being in danger never crossed my mind wow. when i was in guinea like the idea of i'm unsafe that never crossed my mind when i was there that's amazing as you said we we're definitely very creative because i remember i remember growing up right we, we saw those art notebooks where like had pictures of these rappers like these beautiful cars these soccer players right and we would see these cars right and just seeing these cars in these books would enlighten our imagination and tell us oh let's build these cars and our friends and i used to go hunting from for uh, metal sheets and and that part of tires and just coming and designing these cars uh, i mean designing them with metal sheets and and they actually then, then race try to race with this car to see and it's just amazing at six seven eight years old you see the kind of imagination and creativity that comes out of that but i feel like as a kid there the fact that you are always out there finding things to do and using whatever you have to make something better out of it there's a sense of uh, there's no kind of limit in your head mm-hmm. Right. Yes, yeah. there are limits all around you in terms of yeah. there's no resources, uh, you are in underserved communities, but the, the, the fact that, that your imagination is being wandering, right? the fact that you have the ability to, to make something out of nothing, you just start taking more and whatever comes, there's nothing that tells you you can't do it and yeah. you figure it out. Yeah, the idea of like lack of resources never crossed my mind until I came to America. Like in Guinea, that was not in my scope of like knowing. Like I don't have this or I don't have the resources for this. It never crossed my mind. I always felt fulfilled. Or like I always felt like everything around me was fulfilled. I felt like everyone had what they needed for the most part. Wow. Yeah. Describe that scene at the age of six, you left Guinea and you were able to come to the United States. You met your parents for the first time. Describe that scene. Do you remember? Yeah, I um, I remember I was I was six. I I came with like one of my moms, this person that like lived in her like in their compound. So they were coming also. So I came with her, um, and we first stopped in New York. Um, I remember just on the way coming, um, one of my closest friends who I hosted that party with. <laughs> Um, she also came with me. Um, my grandmother, like, she, we were all in one car, and it was like a lot of people in the car. Um, so my grandma, I was sitting oh, on my, yeah, I was sitting on my grandmother's lap, and then my friend was sitting on top of my lap. So we were all on my grandmother. Um, and we just, we went to the, we went to the airport, and I don't think I fully understood just, the significance of what was happening. I don't think I fully. No one would see you in that that. banner. (laughs) Think you coming to America? (laughs) Yeah, I like. I didn't even. You know, like, I did not like. I remember that day specifically. Like right before going to the airport, I went to all the three different houses um, of like my mom's stepmoms, like to say goodbye, and I was like, I. I was just like, oh, I'm going to America, like, bye. <laughs> like, I don't think I fully com- like understood what was actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, like that I was going to be gone for so long. Like, I don't think that hit me. Also, I was six, so it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I we got on the plane, and that was that was a shock to me because I had first off never been on a plane before. I had seen a plane, but I had never been on a plane. Um, it all just felt so fancy to me. I was like, wow. <laughs> and then we got to New York um, and it was it was really cold. I think it was like March. Um, wow. It was really cold. It came in March too. Look at that. March 11th. Look at that. I don't remember a specific date, but look at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really cold. And 
we stayed in New York for like one night and then we went to Memphis and that's that's where I met my parents and at that time my my sister was she was not yet one she was like almost she was like nine months um, I believe so yeah it felt it was weird seeing my parents was weird because I didn't really I I was looking forward to it um, but I didn't really know how to act because like we had never well at least for me i had never been around them like like consciously like as even though i was a kid but like the times i was around them was when i was a baby wow. so i had forgotten that um so i didn't really know like how to be or like how to act so it felt a little weird at first um but i think over time like we got into our our like routine of just knowing how to be with each other yeah wow. That's amazing. So I know you love your sister to death. Your sisters, you have two sisters and you guys love each other to death and you guys are very connected. But I'm sure one of the questions you had for her, you were very jealous of the fact that they were born in America and they could be president in the UK. How do you feel about that? So I wouldn't say I was jealous. Um, I mean, when you I feel that way right now. No, I wouldn't say I was ever I wouldn't say I was ever jealous of not being born in, in America. Um, at some point in my life, I did want to be president. Um, it, I wouldn't say I wanted to be, but it was an, an idea that I entertained, um, was that I, I wanted to be president. But as I grew, as I grow um, and just see the world, I realized that I don't. I don't want to be president. Um, I do want to create change, but I think that to do that, I can do that without holding a presidential like office. I can do that in other ways through community work, through some other branches or areas of government. It yeah. doesn't have to be that office. It's the true definition of leadership. You don't need a title to to do to lead to do the kind of things that you want, right? There is. Uh, I was reading this book, uh, the heart of leadership. Uh, so they, they, somebody came up with this analogy of leadership. Think of it like your heart. And each of the letters that spell heart has a specific function to be the best leader. First of all, leadership is less about skills, it's more about character. Right? Many people think uh, leadership is about skills, but leadership skills is what people see. It's only 10% of leadership. Mm -hmm. The 90% of leadership is the character, and that's what many people don't see. Mm -hmm. And character is not about being having integrity or it's not about having confidence. Those are skills. Character is thinking others first, right? What are you? What's what's in your mind? What's inside you? What's driving you? Right? Mm -hmm. It's about hunger for wisdom, right? It's about uh, taking action, taking responsibility, right? And many other things. So. Definitely, as you said, one of the le leaders usually are, the way leaders are found and given title is not, they are not given the title, then they lead, is they lead first and people recognize that they are leader, then they are given the title, right? And I think that you talked about is being born in Guinea, not being jealous of the fact that you were born in Guinea. Uh, I can't speak on this and I'm sure you share the same thing. I think the blessings that came with being born and growing up a bit in Guinea over exceed the consequences of not being president. Definitely. I agree. The discipline that we were given, right, the, the atmosphere that we grew up in, the, the sense of love and identity that we had, I feel like it's something that I will never relinquish because that's what drives me. That's yeah. what that's what helped me get to my inner being and, and be be my best self possible yeah and for me it's like having having that time in guinea like having that having that part of my life having my life start in guinea um like i've had i've i've had a lot of experiences in my short time on this earth <laughs> i would say um and i think a big part of just my mindset and the way why I think the way I think 
is in a big part due to just the experiences I had in Guinea. Um, and for the fact that just, like just seeing how things were in Guinea and how people lived, like that has a big, a big part to do with just who I am as a person and why I do the things I do. Like the things I do in a big part are rooted in, in the fact that my life started in Guinea. Yeah, talking about that, we started uh, a non-profit organization uh, together. We co-founded an organization called Women's Relief Initiative, which mission is to provide menstrual aids to women in underserved communities, menstrual aids that empower women, sustainable environment, and uplift underserved communities around the world. Uh, right now, you are the president and one of the board members uh, of the organization. Uh, leading the organization toward the next step of its full potential. How do you feel like uh, your experience, your childhood growing up, kind of drove you to with the, to this mission, and uh, not just to Women's Relief Initiative, but with the kind of work that you are doing? Yeah. So I I think recently, especially, I have I've just defined for myself like what really what really is it that like, or which population is it that I really seek to serve in this world? And that is women. Um, and a big part of that is because of just living in Guinea and just seeing, living in Guinea and just all the other places also that I have lived and just seeing like how women, like the lack of, the lack of opportunities that they've been given um, and just how in a lot of cases, they've been kind of relegated to kind of second-class citizen within their own countries. Um, so I think in terms of WRI, like the idea of that specifically stems from a big part of just my, my overall um, passion for women's empowerment, for empowering girls um for ensuring that like they do have access to opportunities um so a big part of that comes from that um and just seeing how being guinea and seeing like the difference between my privilege and the privilege of say some of my other girlfriends who were also living there at the same time like just seeing that difference, seeing the opportunities that I've I had, the opportunities that I've been given, um, and versus like the lack of opportunity that they have, or the the lack of opportunity that they that they've been given, and knowing that like that isn't just solely on them, but it's something that is kind of widespread globally for for girls. Um, so that's where that stems from. Yeah. Yeah. No, period poverty is definitely a big, uh, a big uh, influencer to to women oppression, right? I feel like women oppression is that big, the, the big umbrella, right? The lack of women empowerment, the, the period poverty is it leads to women oppression, and and I feel like if you look at the most underdeveloped countries around the world, the 10 most underdeveloped countries of the world, one thing that they may share is the fact that they do not have equality in terms of men versus women. And this is something that I've been talking about from the beginning. Uh, as I learn more about the issues that women faces, women has, the fact that these countries don't use the skill sets of women and don't bring them to the table and empower them to be part of the solution that both of their countries faces, the people in their countries, the kids, right? The fact that they are not part of that decision, it limits the, the kind of ideas and the kind of, the kind of solutions that are being provided to help these communities, these countries, right? And it's crazy to think many of the most developed countries around the world, the New Zealands, right? The Germany until now, they are led by women. And if you look at history, right, women have the ability to fight and drive change for the benefit of their blood, meaning of their kids, meaning their, their, uh, their, their kids, right, the people that come after them. 
they have this selfless thing in saying that I'm willing to sacrifice what I have so my kid has the ability to have birth. And men, <laughs> the fact that they are driven by ego and pride, sometimes that limits them into thinking that way. Sometimes it's more about what kind of power can I get? What can I do instead of how can I set things up for my kids? Right? And this is not, of course, not all men have this. There are very amazing leaders, right? But if you look at, if you really look at uh, the pool, right? The fact that men has that, it kind of, is overweighting uh, the the changes that men's making versus the, the men that know how to make those good changes basically. That's my thoughts. Okay. Yeah, I kind of feel all the <laughs> eyebrows out there uh, with the response, but that, that's definitely, and if you think about it, I feel like it makes sense to you. Right. So, Right now, you just graduated. We both graduated from UT Austin. Graduated from UT Austin. And what did you study? I studied. I know, guys. I'm just giving okay. you the <laughs> cool. Thank you. I studied um, health and society and international relations. Yeah. So initially, you wanted to do. You were kind of pushing to pre med. <laughs> like, like many people. How did you recognize that you had uh, you had the uh, the drive to toward the the arts. And yeah, the... yeah. I think like looking at my mindset now and how and just understanding that I've had this mindset since I would say the earliest I can remember me having a passion for for seeking and and wanting to like serve women has been like I would say maybe my stop and and actually when I started putting in work for it was my sophomore year of high school um but even before then um so when i when i first came to america one of the ways that i was quickly able to learn english um was my my dad immediately took me to the public library and got me a library card and every week i would go and like check out books and i would write a write, I would read the book and write him a summary. Um, so that really kind of like, that sparked my interest in reading and in writing. Um, and also growing up, like my dad, like for the most part, he'd always be watching the news. If not the news, like, and he wouldn't just watch like mainstream news, like, and he was very critical of a lot of the things that, he, a lot of the news that he would watch. Um, and I really enjoyed, like, I really enjoyed whenever he, he would, he would say those critiques. Like, it's, it sparks in me, like, an interest mm -hmm. of just, like, okay, like, we can, we can critique the news. Um, and I think that's, that's where, that's where, like, my, my, like, interest, my spark of, like, like, I guess not critiquing but like questioning questioning things that I see or questioning things that like I'm told like that's where it stems from it's like just like just, no one has the right answers right, right. No, no one right. can no matter their title mm -hmm. they just can't speak on their, their thoughts based right. on some facts but right and also like I think him like he taught me to have kind of a global perspective because he wouldn't just watch like national news. He would watch like news of just what's happening all over the world. And sometimes it would bore me, mm -hmm. like because I didn't, I didn't want to. But I think it, it taught me also to to not just think of to not put myself in a bubble, um, to think of how what's happening like in one place is affecting like other countries. Like it taught me that. So. I think growing up around those things and around those interests, like at the same time I was here telling myself, yeah, I want to do medicine. Even though like, like deep down, like I had, like it was the complete opposite mm -hmm. that was kind of like brewing. Um, mm -hmm. So I went to UT um, as a biochem major and I, 
I just, I did not like it. Um, I did not like it. It was not my thing. And I think I just, I knew it wasn't my thing. Um, but I think I just had to do it and see, like take some of the classes and see that this is not for me. Um, and yeah, and then I just, I switched around a lot. Um, so I did biochemistry and then I did public health. Um, and then I did international relations and then I did health and society and then I added international relations back. So it kind of, it took a journey, but eventually, like, eventually I got to where I was supposed to be. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, I feel like, I mean, many people would say, oh, you really wasted your time here and here and here. But all I feel like all of that are great experiences, right? You, you learn through all of those. I mean, those are things that you can potentially use and skills that you can transfer in the things that you're doing. Because when we got into Women's Relief Initiative, many of the things we had to get start for, we have, we have to start from the ground up. We didn't know anything about fundraising. We didn't know anything about talking to to donors, right? But we had this vision and we knew that we didn't have all the answers and we were very willing to go out and find people who knew the answers, right? And uh, what we realized is that no matter what, if you are willing to go find the answers, there are somebody who have it and they're going to give it to you and you're going to be able to use that answer and make something happen from it, yeah. right? So, I, I, I mean, you got, we, we are definitely interested into doing uh, like non-profit work and, and things to, to help uh, underserved communities but we also have visions we both have uh, I would think we are very young right now we are all under 25 and uh, we definitely have a lot of things to still learn and one of the things that you are you are on the journey on right now is law school you you want to be a lawyer and can you talk more about how your passion for like nonprofit work and providing value to nonprofit connect with the kind of law you want to be and your vision for the future yeah um so again like my my passion or my want for for wanting to become a lawyer stems from like just growing up around around people who were questioning around people who did have like global just perspective of just not being in a bubble but thinking about everything as a whole um and as i'm like as i'm studying for the lsat and just like like studying of how to think about the lsat i'm realizing that a lot of these skills i've seen them exhibited in like my dad just the way he questions things and like my um and just the way like you can pinpoint like words like just how much meaning there is in just what someone says or in just one phrase mm -hmm. like that's that's something that i have noticed like i'm really good at like pinpointing and i think it's because like i grew up around parents who were questioning and who pinpointed like the smallest things in phrases. So I think like that's, that's in, in, in some way, that's where my passion for law comes from. But also it comes from my, my wants of just serving women. I think, I think one of the best way, I believe one of the best ways I can continue serving women is, is through law. Um, and the specific law I want to practice is immigration law. Um, and I chose immigration law specifically because I think that there are a lot of women who, who come, who are seeking to immigrate to whatever country it may be. Um, but there are barriers for them. Um, and in many instances, when they're seeking to immigrate, it's to escape something. Um, so I want to be the kind of person that, or the kind of lawyer that advocates for them in these cases, um, when they're trying to escape something from their country. So taking my passion of wanting to add value to women and to their lives and to their livelihoods, 
and kind of merging that into a law profession is how I envision it to be. That's amazing. We definitely have a lot of things to talk about and uh, definitely there could be another thing that we could share but hopefully you have a lifetime for you to do that. <laughs> you can always come back uh, to the podcast. I mean, if you want to be a host, but I'm not, you don't have to. Okay. You don't have okay. to. You know? uh, but we, we definitely will have more conversations uh, in the future. I know I have a meeting in the next five minutes. So Well, thank you so yeah. much. Course, uh, but I know people have some questions. Uh, they hear that you are engaged. Yes. And usually the next question after that is, when is the wedding? You want to talk about that? Yes. So the wedding Please. will be summer 2021. Mm-hmm. Summer 2022. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like, oh, you did fast. Did I sleep too? <laughs> summer 2022 is the wedding. Um, specifically June. Yes. Amazing. Where is it going to happen? So, as of right now, um, our reception will be in Houston and our traditional will be in Guinea. And the last time you went to Guinea? 16 years ago. So, I'll so be back since home. Since you left yes. at the age of six, you never been? Correct. Wow. Correct. That so, would be amazing. It would. You haven't seen your grand. Yes, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, cousins, they're all grown up now, so. And it's going to be on your best, one yeah. of your, I would think it's one of your best days of your life, right? Yeah. Is it? It is. <laughs> That's amazing. It is. It would be amazing to be in your presence during that time and to see the emotions as you arrive. I can't wait, you know, I cannot wait. It's going to be, it's going to be an amazing time for sure. That's amazing. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is an introduction to the queen, but she definitely may come later uh, as time progresses. But this is for you. The platform is for you. Feel free to let me know if you have any suggestion in terms of uh, potential people that I could bring into the podcast who have amazing stories and amazing path that could inspire other people that could ignite some kind of imaginations in other people's heart and inspire them to go beyond what they ever imagined would be something that they're able to do. Right? Peace. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you feel like this episode has helped you in any way, share it with a friend, family, or loved one. Before you leave, make sure to subscribe for more.